right, as you're sitting down, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the back table. Right there behind Mr. Massey, there's a whole bunch of blue ones. We're going to need it tonight in the book of Colossians. Tonight we're talking about this idea of being in Him. So let me ask you guys a question. Has anybody in here ever been trapped inside of something? Yes. Like what? What have you been trapped in, Mercedes? What's that? A closet? Okay. All right. What have you been trapped in, Trenton? A what? Did you say a dog kennel? Okay. Did your sister do that to you? You did it to yourself. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's the question. If you've been trapped in something, was that a good feeling? No. It was, it was kind of a scary feeling, wasn't it? You see, when we talked about this idea of, of being trapped in something, I, it got me thinking. And it made me go back to a memory that I have of my dad. And it's a memory, which my dad's still alive in case that sounded bad right there. No, I, my dad's okay. But one of the things my dad used to like to do is my brother and I, we would sleep in the living room sometimes, just thought we were camping out in the living room. And we would sleep in our sleeping bags, in the living room, pillows, the whole thing, right in front of the fireplace. It was awesome. And one of my dad's favorite things to do is he would come in on a Saturday morning after we'd been in there Friday night before we woke up. And while we're laying there, you know, innocent and asleep, doing absolutely nothing wrong, he would walk up to one of us, usually me because I was the smaller one, and he would slowly start gathering the top of the sleeping bag. And before I knew it, I woke up by being picked up in the sleeping bag as my dad held the top of it trapped in a sack. And I remember I absolutely hated that feeling. I, have I ever done that to you? Oh man, I missed my chance. He's a little too big now. Hang it. Where's my, oh, Michaela's going to get it one of these days. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Yes. I forgot about that. But I hated that feeling because in that moment, I couldn't get out. There was absolutely nothing I could do. I could fight, I could push, I could kick. There was one zipper. It was at the top of the sleeping bag and he was holding it where only he could reach it. And I was trapped. And see, the problem is that there are people, when they hear the word God, when they hear the, the Bible, when they hear the name Jesus, they feel the same way. They, they, they look at this book and they think, this book is a trap. This is something that's just full of a list of rules of, of do's and don'ts. And, and if I do anything with this, if I start to read this, then I'm going to find out that there's a whole lot of life that I'm not allowed to live. And they feel like they're stuck. And, and the problem is there's actually some people who will use the Bible like this when talking to people about God. They'll use it as a trap and they'll say, well, you didn't live up to this and you didn't do that. And, and, and they actually present it as a whole list of things that you can't do. And all of a sudden people look at that and think, I don't want that life. But you see, the difference is, kind of like my dad took that sleeping bag and he used it in a way that it wasn't really intended to be used. If it's used the right way, it's good. That sleeping bag kept me warm, kept me comfortable, gave me a good place to sleep. God's Word, when we get into it, when we read it, when we understand who God is and what Jesus has done for us, that's not a life that's limiting. That's not a life that's trapping. That's actually a life that frees us to live the way that God created us to live. And that's exactly what, what Paul is talking about as we jump back into the book of Colossians tonight. So I'm going to ask you the questions, and as always, I've given you one answer. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul. When do we believe he wrote it? Long time ago, yes. More specific, 60 to 62 AD. Where do we think he was when he wrote it? 
And, and, and again, I make up a percentage every week. This week, it's 96% of the time. If you say jail, you're probably right when we ask, where was Paul when he wrote it? Who did he write it to? Church of Colossae. And there's two reasons he wrote it. What were those two reasons? To warn and encourage. Okay? Remember that. As we go through this tonight, we see Paul use these two words three, no, four different times. He uses the words in him. And that's, that's the idea we're talking about. Some people look at those words in him, in Jesus, and they think that's confining. That's limiting. When the truth is, the way that Paul shows us tonight, those words in him, it leads you to a life that frees you. It leads you to a life that you could not have apart from Christ, and it's incredible. So what I'm going to ask you to do is what we do every week. I'm going to ask you to stand in the honor of reading God's Word, and I'm going to ask Nathan to come up and read it for us tonight. Come on up here, Nathan. This one right here. We are in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Okay. Um, verse 9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, bo dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. All right, dear God, please help us to, to not have checked our brains at the door when we came here tonight. Help us to um, dig in and dig in deep to the scripture and what we're trying to get out of it and what you're trying to show us through the scripture, God. Help us to be attentive tonight and help us take something um, that means something and not just words that we listen to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat, and I appreciate what you said there. Help us not to check our brains at the door. So we talked about last week. Open up your Bible, read it for yourself, understand what it is that God's saying. So let's walk through this passage. The first thing we talk about this in him phrase that we see here in these first two verses is that in him, in Jesus, we will see God. Look at what it says. Let me read those two verses again. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. What Paul is saying there is that in him, he's talking about Jesus. He says the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. What he's saying there is that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. We, we, don't, we don't see God. We've never seen God. And yet what Paul is telling us here is that Jesus was that visible expression of who God is. Now that, that doesn't mean Jesus was like... God went from being God and now he's Jesus. And then when Jesus died, he went back to being God. No, scripture tells us that they're the same and yet they're separate at the same time. That's hard for our minds to wrap around because we don't see things that way. But that's exactly what we see Paul helping us understand here. He's saying that absolutely nothing from God is missing in the person of Jesus. I, I think about it this way. How many of you like movies? Like, I'm like, like I like really like movies. I've got a couple hundred at home. Here's, yes, here's the thing about movies, though, and something I found out a long time ago. It is a very rare thing that a sequel to a movie is as good as the original. Is that true? Would you agree with that? And, and, and I've, I've watched 
What's that? Except for Empire Strikes Back. Well, I was going to stay away from Star Wars today, okay? I'm not even going there because some are good, some are... We'll stay out of that. Let's just say Jar Jar Binks could have made the whole movie without him, okay? All right, so... But in looking at movies, I, I think through movies that I've seen and ones that were originally good and the sequels weren't so good. For instance, who has seen the first Home Alone movie, like first one ever? Has anybody seen the other four? No! Two's horrible! It's the same story, they just redid it. They did it over and over again. How about this one? How about this one? How many of you have seen Mary Poppins? How many of you have seen Mary Poppins Returns? Okay, this is my opinion. You don't have to like it, but nowhere near as good as the original. Okay? No, I, I, I'm, you can say I'm wrong. That's fine. How about this one? How about this one? I'm going to make somebody mad with this one. How many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Now, hold on. I will admit, some of those sequels are pretty good. But the whole series could have been done without On Stranger Tides. Okay? Could have been done without that one. That's the mermaid one. That's the fountain of youth one. That's just weird. It didn't really serve any purpose. But here's the thing. The thing about those sequels is what we find so often, and, and, and I'm not saying that's every one. Those are my opinions. It's okay. You're entitled to yours. You're wrong, but you're entitled to it. It's okay. But here's the thing. With the sequels, you never quite get the same experience you had the first time. The, the characters aren't new anymore. The storyline's not really new anymore. In fact, some of the storylines, it's just the same, like Jaws. If you've seen Jaws 1, you've seen 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. You've seen them all if you've seen one. It's just a different location, which don't watch those movies. They're not worth your time. But here's the thing. That's the difference between God and Jesus in that relationship. Jesus is not the sequel. Jesus is not the second thing who wasn't as good as the original. What Paul is telling us right here is that Jesus is everything that God is. He is God in the flesh. He is the real thing. And that matters for us. Do you have a question, Ms. Mercedes? What's that? That's, that's one way that people describe it, yeah. That's one way to try to wrap our minds around it. It's, it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We have a hard time understanding that because if you take any, a piece, any part of that shamrock, guess what? It's not one anymore. But with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're always one even when they're not all together. That's why it's so hard to wrap our minds around that. And that's what Paul is helping us understand. He's showing us that Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. There's nothing missing from him. And he says there at the end of that, or in verse 10, he says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's saying if you're a disciple, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then your identity, your security rests in who Jesus is. Because you are in him. And because of that, what we see in these next two verses is that in him we see God and in him we are changed. Look at what it says in verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God 
who raised him from the dead. So what Paul does here to show us this change he's talking about is he starts using these these word pictures that these believers, these people he wrote this letter to, would have been familiar with. And, And without going into detail, what you need to know, that word circumcision there, that was part of the Old Testament covenant that God made with his people. It was a a physical act of God's people to show that there was a connection between them and God. It was them saying, I identify with God. He is the one that we follow, and God's saying, you've done this, you are my people. That is what that's referring to. It's an Old Testament practice that these believers would have been familiar with. And Paul uses that phrase so that they know what he's talking about, but he actually changes the way he refers to it here. He's not talking about the physical act that they were familiar with. He's talking about a spiritual act. This spiritual act of circumcision that he says, it, it, it's, it's what he's saying. He says it involves putting off the body of flesh. And what he means is this, is that if we are in Christ, then Christ has put off our sinful fleshly nature. Scripture tells us the moment that we understand we're a sinner and that we cannot fix ourselves, we cannot fix our sin. And you know this to be true. We all do. Nobody taught us how to lie. Nobody taught us how to be angry. People taught us how to do it better or more efficiently. But it comes to us naturally because we are sinners by nature. And the only thing that can separate us from our sin and forgive us of that sin is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying that if you are in Christ, then Christ has helped you put off that sinful nature. Jesus has separated us from that nature and removed it, and it says he has made us into something new in him. See, all of this hinges on being in Christ. And if you're going to be in Christ, that means you're in his word. That means you know who God is or you're learning who God is. You're learning what it means to pursue him. And that's why this matters so much in the life of a believer. God's word is everything when it comes to knowing who God is and living that out. And then he uses this other word picture, and this is one that we're probably more familiar with in a church. He starts talking about baptism, something that many of us are familiar with. Baptism is an act of obedience that we take as disciples after we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. It's a symbolic act because of what it means. When when I meet with little kids in my office and I'm, I'm trying to help them understand what baptism is, I'd say it like this. Think about the fact that you go to school and you read a book that your parents have never read. And you go home and you tell your parents about that book or maybe you go see a movie or some other thing. You've had an experience that your parents have never had. They didn't have your experience and the only thing they know about it is what you tell them about your experience. That's what baptism is. It's a picture. It's an act of obedience of what God has done in your life. And when you get baptized, you are sharing your testimony. You are telling everyone on the outside, this is what God has done inside of me. And that's that's the word picture that, that Paul is using here. It's an outward picture of what Jesus has done within. It's a chance to tell the world your story and the fact that Jesus is your life now. In fact, in Romans, Paul explains it this way, verses four through six of chapter six. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's why when you see somebody get baptized, you hear the pastor use words like buried with Christ in likeness of his death. You're not physically dying. However, you are saying spiritually, I've died to my sin. I'm not pursuing that life anymore. I don't want those things that I was pursuing before I met Jesus. And then when someone comes up out of the water, you hear words like risen to walk and newness of life. Because scripture tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that sin is forgiven and we're made into something completely new. Something that desires God, something that honors God with our life. Now, don't mistake this here. Baptism has nothing to do with your actual moment of salvation when you are forgiven of your sin. It's simply a picture. You can go over there into that tub that's full of warm water if you're lucky when the heater's working, and you can swim in it. You can put it in a water gun. You can shoot people with it. There's nothing special about that water. But that act of obedience is powerful. Because it's your opportunity to tell people what Christ has done in your life. And Paul is using that word picture there so that we understand what Jesus has done. Because when we are in him, we are changed. We are different than we were before. And in these last couple verses, we see one more thing. When we are in him, we are set free. Listen to what it says in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the, the, when you put your faith and trust in, in God, the one who raised him from the dead, then scripture says you are made alive with him. That's what it's talking about right there. Before the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin, it, he says right there, you were dead in your trespasses. You are a walking corpse. That's, that's the picture I get in my head when I think about people who, who have never experienced salvation and never put their faith and trust in Jesus. He says, you're, you're dead in your trespasses. You're walking around with no purpose. You're like a zombie. You have no purpose. You're walking around in the dark. Just Now, you may live a life. Things may happen. But spiritually, you're dead. There's nothing going on. And the problem is, every single person in this room, every single person that has ever been created and lived alive has faced that exact same problem. We have all sinned against God and are bound to sin, but when we put our faith and trust in Him, God makes us alive in Christ. That song we sang just a few minutes ago, we cry out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. That's quoting scripture from the Old Testament, but that can translate to us as well because if we are disciples of Jesus, we are called to go and share the gospel and make disciples. And that means you're calling out the people who are spiritually dead. You're calling out the people that need life, but they don't have it because they don't have Christ. And he's telling us here that you come alive and you only do that. That only happens because of what God does in you. Think about that for a second. Your salvation, 
the moment you know you're forgiven of your sin doesn't really have anything to do with anything you've done. Because you're dead. Remember? Corpses can't do anything on their own. Maybe you've seen Weekend at Bernie's. Anybody ever seen that movie? That's an old one. I'm dating myself right now. All the adults in the room are like, yep. In that movie, I told you I like movies. This guy dies. His name's Bernie. And some other guys, the entire movie, like Bernie's supposed to have this big weekend party at his house and all these people are coming over. So his two buddies take Bernie's corpse, the entire movie, and move him around and put him in different positions, different situations, so that everybody thinks Bernie's still alive. But he's dead. By the way, there was a sequel to that. It was also horrible. But here's, it was bad. But here's the thing. Hey, a corpse can't do anything on its own. Your understanding that you needed forgiveness of your sin is only because God pursued you and made you aware of it and gives you the opportunity to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He is the one doing the work. God is the one that's making us alive. And he does that by doing only what he can do, by forgiving you of your sins when you ask him. And he says right there, he gives us another word picture. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It says, he cancels the record of debt that we have. A, a record of debt is basically, it's, it's a written note of something that you owe. And a lot of times you can't pay. <clears throat> for instance, who has a cell phone? Who pays for their own cell phone? Nah, now the adult's hands in the room go up. <clears throat> so technically, you have a debt every month if you have a cell phone. Now your parents pay it for you, but guess who you owe? Your parents. Do they make you pay it? Some do. Some don't. Those of you who don't have to pay it, you know what your parents are doing? They are wiping out that debt for you. So you have absolutely no responsibility for it. In fact, you probably don't even see the bill. You don't even know what your portion would be for your cell phone. Some of you do. But even if you think about your parents, they then turn around and they pay that bill. And guess what? They're not in debt anymore. It's paid for. That's what Jesus, or that's what Paul is talking about with Jesus here. He's saying that you're no longer obligated for what you owe when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Every one of us, Scripture tells us, every single one of us deserves eternal separation from God because of our sin. Because God and sin, they, they don't mix. And yet Jesus died on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He took that debt that we owed and it says right there, he nailed it to the cross. He wiped it out. He killed it so that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're now connected to God. That's huge. There's freedom there. You're no longer bound by that sin. Now you may have consequences for some of it because that's just a fact of life. But you're no longer bound by it because you've been forgiven you found freedom in him. And then he finishes in verse 15. He says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. 
Every single one of us, every one of us, deserve condemnation according to God's word. Because he is holy and we are not. He is righteous and we are not. And scripture tells us that 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 sentence, that written condemnation, condemning us to eternal separation from God, condemning us to hell, that's what scripture says. I don't like it, but it's there. It says right there that Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross. He took the court order that signed your execution because of your sin and he said, that's mine now. And then he did only what God could do. He conquered death and he conquered sin and he walked out of a tomb. And he offers every single one of us this life that he's talking about right here. It says he conquered everything. He says the rulers and the authorities. He's talking about the fact that you live in a world that is vying for your allegiance. Every single day there are things coming at you 90 miles an hour saying, follow me, do this, spend your time here, invest your money here. And all of it is pointing you in a direction that is 180 degrees from who Jesus is. And Paul is telling us, Jesus has beat all of that too. That we don't have to be trapped by all of those things and all of those voices and all of those ideas because we've been set free when we are in Him. So my question for you tonight is this. Are you in Him? Are you living the life that God created you to live? It's not a life that's confining. It's not a life that's trapping because of this book. It's a life that sets you free. It's a life, and, and, and I, I, am, I am not a health and wealth gospel kind of guy, and I'm not going to tell you that life's going to be great if you put your trust in Jesus every single day, because it's not. It's going to stink pretty bad some days. But even in those days, you know that God is holding you. You know that you've been forgiven, and there's freedom, and there's change, and there's mercy, and there's grace in who God is. Are you in Him tonight? Have you been set free? Has your debt been paid the way that Paul talks about it here? Or are you still walking around like a corpse because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus? If you are, you can change that tonight. And, and it's not hard. That's the crazy part. Being in a relationship with God, the easy part is actually asking Him to forgive you. The hard part's then living it out and pursuing Him every day. But it is the most incredible life you will ever have. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't forgive myself. I know I've sinned against you. God, please forgive me. I want to put my trust in Jesus and I want to follow you with my life. That's how you move from death to life. That's how you find freedom. That's how Jesus takes that debt, yours, and nails it to that cross. If you're in here tonight and you've never made that decision, you can do that right here tonight. You don't have to say my words. Use your own words. But talk to God and ask him to forgive you. I would challenge you with this, though. If you do make that decision tonight, let me know before you walk out of here. Because I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray with you because I'm excited for you if you make that decision. If you're in here tonight and you've already made that decision, but you're not living in that change and that freedom, what are you holding on to? What is it in your life that you just can't let go of? 
to pursue Christ and hold on to him with everything you have. I challenge you tonight, let it go. Stop holding on to it and letting it drag you down. Let go and let God do what God wants to do in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you, God, that we can spend time in the middle of a crazy, busy week and schedule and life. And God, so many people coming from so many different backgrounds and families and situations, God, that we can come together as your church tonight and worship you through music, through prayer, through your word. God, I pray. I pray for all of us in this room tonight, God. If there's anybody in here tonight, Lord, that's holding on to something, they've been forgiven, they know they belong to you. God, they're holding on to something that's just dragging them down. God, help them tonight to live those words, to walk in Him, in Jesus, and to know the freedom that comes with that. If there's anybody in here tonight, God, that doesn't know what that is because they've never put their faith and trust in you, God, give them the courage, the boldness, God, do that right now. Trust you to know what in Him really means every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray.